I don't know if you've ever seen these before. These are, you can say it out loud, goggles. Very good. But these aren't just normal goggles. These are what are referred to as drunk goggles. Okay? I have a friend that works in the Rogers Police Department, and uh, I don't know how much they use these anymore, but at, at, at a time years ago, they would use these sometimes in the training of police officers uh, to know what it's like when, they're, when, they're, when they've got somebody pulled over on the side of the road and they're having to go through like walking straight line and all that kind of stuff, and they put these goggles on to kind of give an understanding of what that would look like. And if you, if you I mean, you're welcome to look at these after worship today, uh, but man, it's, it's crazy. Like, I'm almost losing my balance looking through them right now. And I had them on a minute ago back in the back in the, in the sound booth area and thought, I'm going to try to walk down the stairs with these on. And I put them on. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> because I was looking at the steps, but my feet are all the way over here. It's weird. It's crazy to look through these things. Now, years ago, uh, I, uh, when I was doing a youth ministry at the Southside Church of Christ in Rogers, we had a big retreat with a bunch of other youth groups. And uh, I created kind of a relay race. So we were in this, at, at this camp, had this big open field, and um, we just threw a whole bunch of stuff out in the field. There was, I mean, just boxes and basketballs and chairs and ropes and, and benches and anything we could find. We just kind of threw it out there and called that our minefield. And then we had the kids divided up into teams, and then those teams were split in half, one on this side of the minefield, one on this side. And we had a whole bunch of these uh, pairs of drunk goggles. And so the object was you put on the goggles and you would run across the minefield, take them off, hand them to somebody else on your team, and they're working their way back across. You with me? And, the, and the, the thing was, if you touched any of those objects, any of those mines, boom, you exploded. You got to go back and start over again. Okay? It was hilarious to watch. I wish I had a video that I could show you of these kids who are like, I can do that, no problem. And they put these goggles on. And there's where they're headed, and there's the direction that they actually go. And then, you know, they come up to something, uh, and they'd be several feet from it, and they're like, you know, trying to step over stuff. They weren't anywhere near. It was hilarious. It was awesome. Um, it entertained me as a youth minister anyway, for whatever that's worth. But the problem with the goggles was the, the goggles changed their perception. They changed how they view things. Things that they would normally not run into, they ran into. Uh, you know, leaning over while they're trying to run in a straight line, uh, you know, it, 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 trying to step over stuff too soon or too late. Someone just flat out ran into stuff because they didn't realize how close they were to it. Because they couldn't see things as they actually were, it affected their actions, okay? I want you to think about that as we're reminded this morning of the series that we started going through a few weeks ago, being better of looking at where we are in our lives right now and who we are in our lives right now and, and asking ourselves, could there, something be, could, could there be something better about who I am or about the way that I do things? And not even necessarily looking at it as a judgment thing or, 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 or considering ourselves complete failures and needing an overhaul, but just where I am in my life, where I am in my marriages, my friendships, my job, my connection with this church family, could I be better than, could I be a better version of who I am? And what choices is it going to take for me to make that happen? And we talked about even just having a, 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 a better version of us and having a different perspective on ourselves can help us when we try to become a better person that can help us with our relationships, whether that's a friendship or a marriage, a dating relationship, whatever that is. We talked last week about our decision-making processes. And if we get better at how we make 
choices and how we make decisions that we can improve our friendships, our relationships, our marriages, our connections with our kids. Those things can get better if we get better at how we make choices. Today, I want to talk about how to improve our perspective, how to, how to get better with our vision, with how we see the world around us and people in the world around us, and even how we see ourselves so that we can become better versions of us. Now, Jesus kind of addressed this in the book of Luke. And if you got your Bibles, you got your Bible apps, we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is talking uh, uh, here, and he, and he says this about just our physical bodies, but he's talking about who we are as people as well. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. Jesus basically says the body is going to respond to whatever it sees. Now, we know this about the five senses. I mean, our body will do things based on what we can touch or smell or see or taste. We, we understand all that. But on an even bigger perspective, not just if I touch something that's hot, I don't do that, but just how I view things will, will have a direct impact on my actions, on how I respond. If my vision isn't good... I'm, if my vision is good, I'll make good decisions. I'll make good choices based on what I see, based on how I'm viewing the world, based on how I see you. But if my vision isn't good, I'm not going to make as good choices because I'm not seeing things clearly. Or I'm not seeing things as they, as they should be. When I don't have the proper perspective, when I'm focused on something besides what I should be focused on, my actions will be unhealthy. I might even become a very hurtful person to myself and other people because I'm not seeing clearly. You know, I was talking about these at that retreat. I had one kid, he was actually in my youth group. His team was behind in that relay race. And he thought, well, we got to catch up. And so he put the goggles on and was like, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to run full speed. And he just, he just takes off. And he's weaving, not intentionally, all over the place, but he's He's determined to get there. And in his path was kind of a, a, a park bench. I mean, it had a back to it and a seat to it, but just, you know, a little wooden bench that you could probably fit three or four people on if they were sitting on it. And he's, he's running, and he sees it. And instead of stopping, going around, whatever, he thinks in that moment while he's trying to run full speed, I'm going to hurdle this thing. And so he's running full speed, and he gets to it, and he jumps way too early. And just lands on it and just like contorted his body and somehow rolled and it ended up on top of him. It was bad. I mean, hilarious, but it was bad <laughs> because he couldn't see. And he made a choice in his actions based on what he was seeing or how he was seeing what was in front of him. He ended up hurting himself a little bit because he wasn't seeing things clearly. When we're not seeing things the way that we should. We'll run full speed into bad dating relationships. We'll run full speed into making bad financial choices and getting ourselves in even worse debt than we already are. We'll run full speed into, into using whatever words just fly out of our mouths in the moment in anger and frustration. We'll, we'll flirt. We'll look at porn. We might even have an affair running full speed into something that's going to be destructive to ourselves, to our spouses, to our families. Perception matters. Perspective is a big deal. 
Viewing things as they really are has a huge impact on becoming better versions of ourselves. So what is it that we're shooting for? I mean, we want to have the, the best perspective. What is it that, we, that we're trying to see? Let me give you a couple of things that, that all of us need to be, I guess, it needs to be the goal. This is how we need to view ourselves and our view of the world. And, and, and one of those things is we need to see others the way that God sees them. And I appreciate so much the things that, that Reagan shared when he was leading us in our communion thoughts this morning of how Jesus viewed the world. If I'm going to become a better version of me, if I'm going to get better at at being a better friend, if I'm going to become a better spouse, if I'm going to become a better parent, if I'm going to become a better kid for my parents, if I'm going to be more involved in the community or in this church, I'm going to have to see people the way that my God does. If you go through the Bible, if you look at the way that Jesus dealt with people, it's amazing to see how he viewed people compared to the people around him. The Bible is divided up into two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those four tell the story of Jesus' life when he was here on this earth. And if you go through, if you just take some time today or this week and just read through how Jesus lived and how he interacted with people. I mean, his words and his teachings are important, don't get me wrong. And the story of the cross and the story of the, of the resurrection, that is what we count on. That is part of our identity and who we are. But just look at how Jesus interacted with people because of how he saw them. He would see a huge crowd of people and the rest of his disciples and maybe even other religious people around him looked at those folks and saw a hassle. This is, this is time consuming. These people are so needy and just always gimme, gimme, gimme. And Jesus looked at those folks and, and scripture says that he saw sheep without a shepherd. He saw people who were lost, who were fumbling through this world and needed somebody to guide them. And he had compassion on them. He comes across a, a woman, we talked about her not long ago, a woman that, that is caught in the act of adultery and brought in front of the church. And everybody looks at her and they know what she's done wrong. It's obvious. Matter of fact, they announce it to everyone. Here's what this woman's been doing. And Jesus looks at her with every opportunity to be just as judgmental and just as condemning, and he has compassion on her. And he doesn't see a woman who's been sleeping around with somebody that's not her husband. He sees a woman who needs grace, who needs a brand new start. Jesus sees uh, this, this wealthy man, this rich man who, who, who is struggling between trying to be somebody that God wants him to be and trying desperately to hold on to all this stuff. And Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't see some arrogant person, and he doesn't see somebody who's completely self-centered and, and, and focused on his wealth, but at the same time, he sees somebody who desperately needs freedom from that wealth, from the, from the control that it has on him. Even if he doesn't see that himself, Jesus sees it in him. Jesus looks at a tax collector that everybody hated and probably hated everybody else. He sees a man who, who everybody else is making fun of and is criticizing and, and has nothing but, but just evil thoughts about. And because of all that, uh, and maybe they treat him, because he, treat him that way because he's a bad person or maybe he's become a bad person because of the way he's been treated. Either way, Jesus looks at this guy and instead of being critical, instead of being judgmental, instead of saying awful things about him and his job and his personality and even his height like other people made fun of him, Jesus looks at him and says, that's somebody that needs a connection. He needs a friend. He needs somebody to spend time with him. 
even when you look at the story of the cross, as Jesus is, is, has suffered more than any of us could possibly imagine and is slowly suffocating to death, hanging from a cross in front of a huge crowd, most of whom are glad that he's there, have clamored for it, have enjoyed the fact that he's been beaten within an inch of his life, that he's dying, that he's bleeding and suffocating to death, and they're saying this is the way things should be. And Jesus looks at those folks and has every right to be angry and frustrated at them and to say things about them and to them, and he has the power, if he wants to, to strike them dead right there. And Jesus looks at them and sees people who desperately need forgiveness, who don't even realize how destructive they're being and wants nothing but compassion and grace for them and says, God, please forgive them. Do you see the difference? Do you see how, how God views this world, how God views people in this world? Do you see the way Jesus saw people and how it impacted how he treated them, how he interacted with them? But the same principle is true for me. If I look at people based on skin color, if I look at people based on gender, if I find out somebody's political party and political views and it's not the same as mine, if I look at somebody based on what town they live in or just what side of town they live in, if I look at somebody based on where, where, where they work compared to where I work or if their job uh, is, is higher up than mine or lower than mine or who gets the bigger paycheck, if that's how I, how I view people, that's the perspective that I view people with. If I view people based on whether I just I can't stand them or whether I really like them, if I view people based on whether they've been hurtful to me in the past or have said something or done something that's, that's hurt somebody that I care about and that's the only perspective that I have on them, it's going to affect how I treat them. If those are the goggles that I view those people with, it's going to affect my actions around them, the words that I say to them, and how I treat them. And I may choose, I may choose to be just hateful right back to them. I may choose to be abusive to them because they've been abusive to me. I may choose to, to ignore them, to completely just turn my back on them, have nothing to do with them. I may choose to just be dismissive and anything they say or do, I'm like, yeah, whatever, because I know how they actually are, or at least I think I do because of what I've seen and what I've experienced. And, I, and, and that's the way the world looks at people. And the world even tells me you have every right to view people with those goggles here's what Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 he says from now on we regard we look at no one from a worldly point of view we are called not to look at people through the goggles that the rest of the world looks at them through we are called to see people through the eyes of Jesus, to see people through the eyes of a loving God, and to allow our actions to be dictated by those eyes, by that vision, by that perspective. We need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. But then the second thing is, I, I need to see not just other people, I need to see myself through God's eyes. I need to see who I am through God's eyes. Sometimes 
I might make bad choices. I, I might get into bad relationships. I might treat other people in an in a, in a awful way. I might get into some destructive habits, and, and I might do those things because I have a bad, a misguided perception of me. It's not necessarily all those other people. I don't see me as very good. I don't see me as very worthwhile. I don't see me as deserving love and compassion and grace. And because I don't see myself that way, I may be abusive to other people. I may make fun of other people. I may be critical of other people for their failures, for their flaws. I may point out all of other people's mistakes because I don't want anybody to see mine. To me, mine are glaring. And the more that I can point people at you and, and say things about you, then they won't hopefully see me. I don't feel very good about me. And so I will treat you bad because I don't think very much of me. If that's where you are this morning, I want you to know that you are a dearly loved creation of Almighty God. That He loves you no matter what. And if you have... If you, have, if you believe that the story of Jesus is true, you've invited him to become the king of your life and, and to live inside you and to dictate your, your actions and, and your mindset. If you have repented of your sins, if you have been baptized in the name of Jesus, you are a child of God. You are God's kid. That's amazing. And I, and I want you to see how how unique and how special and how powerful that is. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, Paul says this in verse 27. He says, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If I've given my life to Jesus and I've been baptized in his name, I am covered in Christ. Totally stole this from somebody else. But there was a youth minister who did this a long time ago, and it made such a huge impact on me, and I want to share it with you this morning. So I asked Rachel Pilgrim to come up and be my volunteer. So she's, we're going to get a clearer picture of what this means to be clothed in and covered in Christ. So Rachel, if you'll have a seat right there. You good? Okay. Now... This is Rachel. Everybody, you can see Rachel, right, sitting in this chair. Do I need to move the chair here? I'm worried that you might fall over the edge, so I'm just going to leave you back here, okay? So if you can't see her, you can stand up. You can get to where you can see her. I don't mind. But this is Rachel, and we're going to allow this quilt to represent Christ. So this is Christ. This is Rachel. Rachel has given her life to Jesus Christ. She's been baptized in his name. So what does Scripture say? Now, when she's been baptized in Christ, she has been clothed with, she has been covered in Christ. You good? Okay. This is what Scripture says is happening to us. That when we give our lives to Jesus and we're saved by his blood and we're covered in Christ, that, that this is what God sees. Now, look up here. Is Rachel still here? Yeah. Can you see her? What do you see when you see her? You see the blanket, right? And the blanket represents Christ. This is all you see. With all of our flaws and all of our failures and all of our mistakes and all the things that we've done wrong and all the things that we said we'd never do it again and we did it again and all the scars and all the things that, that we try to keep hidden and hope nobody else ever finds out about and we know that our God sees it anyway. 
when we've given our lives to Jesus, when my God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see my imperfections. He doesn't see my failures. He doesn't see my flaws. He sees his perfect son, Jesus. And I need to see me that way too. I need to see myself the way my God does. I don't need to focus on my flaws. I don't need to focus on my failures. I can acknowledge that they're there, but I don't want to repeat those things. But I don't dwell on them either because my God doesn't see them. He sees who? Christ. And I need to see me that way too. And it will change not just how I view me. It will change how I treat you. When I allow myself to see myself, yeah, through God's eyes. Thank you, Rachel. You did good. Excellent job. Sorry about your hair. <laughs> you can have a seat. You need help? Good. Thank you. I need to see other people through the eyes of God. I need to see myself through the eyes of God. And when I start to have that kind of perspective, when I start to have... When I start to see through those goggles, it will completely change my attitude and my actions. Here's some things that will happen. One thing that will happen is I'll start to have a better self-image. I'll start to feel better about me. When I get in the habit of seeing myself through God's eyes and seeing myself the way he sees me, it will help me feel better about who I am. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. I've shared this with this church family often, but if you haven't been here with us before when I've shared it, or if you've forgotten about it, or if you've never done this before, highlight it in your Bible. Draw lines around it. Put stars around it. Make sure you visit it often because this is the promise. This is a truth that John shares with all of us who have given our lives to Jesus. And he says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, has the love that he has just dumped all over us that we should be called children of God. And then he goes on just to make sure you don't miss the point and says, that is what we are. Don't doubt it. Don't wonder. Man, I wonder if God thinks very much, very much of me. Yeah, he does. You're his kid. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. God looks at me with all my flaws and failures and all the, all the mistakes that I make and all the, the misguided directions that I take. And my God looks at me and says, that's one of mine. And he doesn't say it in a way where some of us do about our kids. Sometimes we're like, yeah, that's mine. He doesn't do that. Yeah, some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there before, right? God doesn't do that. God says with as much pride as he can in his heart, stands up and says, that's my kid. I gave my son's life for her. I gave the blood of my son for him. That, that one's mine. I'm so proud. If my God sees me that way, It'll change my life if I learn to see myself that way. It'll help me feel better about who I am. And the second thing is, it'll help me make better choices. Because I see myself through the eyes of my God, 
it will move me to make better choices in my life. And when I recognize how much God thinks of me, when I recognize how valuable I am to him, to him I'll be motivated to make better choices and better life decisions. There's a story back in the Old Testament of a guy named Hosea. And Hosea was a prophet of God, and he married a woman named Gomer. And Gomer was eh, she's not the one that you would necessarily want for your son to marry. Gomer slept around a lot before she ever met Hosea. And they got married, and she continued to sleep around a lot. She didn't stop her actions. As a matter of fact, she ends up leaving home. And Gomer is left to raise her kids. I mean, uh, Hosea is left to raise their kids by himself because Gomer's off doing other things with other people. And we don't know how long it took. We don't know the number of months or years that, that it was. But at a certain point, God says, Hosea, go find your wife. Bring her back home. And we don't know all the beds that she's been to. We don't know all the choices that she's made. We know that the fact that either she's basically on an auction block as a, as a slave because these different men are done with her or that she's in some man's house and Hosea has to go and purchase his wife back from that particular person. Either way, Hosea goes and buys his wife. Can you imagine that? I know that doesn't even fit in our culture and our society nowadays, but can you imagine having to go and, and get out the money and pay for your wife to come home when she's the one that left? She's the one that's had multiple affairs. She's the one that through her actions and maybe even through her words has said, I don't want to be with you. But you love her that much, you're going to pay for her. Scripture says in Hosea chapter 3, beginning verse 2, I bought her for 15 pieces of silver money and 10 baskets of barley. I don't know if that's a bargain or not. I don't know what the going price is. But Hosea paid it. Don't you think that was an awkward walk home? Don't you think that it was just difficult for them to even make eye contact? And Hosea says this to her. He says, you, you got to stay with me. You got to stay with me and, and, and be faithful to me and don't have another man, and I'll be faithful to you. And we'll be in a relationship like we're supposed to be. And we don't, we don't the, the story itself between Hosea and Gomer ends there. We don't know what the, what the final result was. I like to think that it's a happy ending. I like to think that Gomer is so moved by the fact that Hosea paid for her, that he bought her, not so that he could manipulate her, not so that he could hold that over her head and, and whenever there was something they wanted to do, like, you know, I paid for you, right? Not so that he could do those kind of things, not so that he could boss her around, but just because he loved her that much. She was that precious, that valuable to him that he was willing to pay the price to bring her home. Don't you believe that that changed her life? I hope so. I hope that it moved her to stay and to be faithful because she saw maybe for the first time ever how valuable she was to him. Now, Here's what the Apostle Paul says about us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, you were bought at a price. You were bought with the blood of Jesus. And that's not just a story, and that's not just a, a tradition that we celebrate with crackers and grape juice. That is something that actually happened, that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, let his blood drip from his veins to pay the price for you, for me. 
Paul says you were bought at at an expensive price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with what you do. Be thankful for, for what God has done for you. When I, when I see, when I allow myself to really recognize that God paid for me, that he bought me with the blood of his son, Jesus, not so that he could manipulate me, not so that he could hold that over my head and go, you know, I paid for you, right? Not so that he could boss me around, but because he just loved me that much. I was that precious and that valuable to him. That should change my actions. That should completely shift how I treat other people. It should move me to be faithful to him and to live the way that he wants me to. And I'm going to it, it should move me to walk away and to, and to get treatment and do whatever I can to get rid of my addictions, to stay away from my, from my temptations, the things that keep trying to pull me back into living an ungodly life. It should pull me away from, from the guilt that hangs over my head from past choices that I made. It should pull me away from bad relationships and make me walk away from friendships that are, that are destructive or going to get me back into those things again. It should cause me to use better words when I talk to people. It should cause me to work harder and have, and have a better attitude at my job. It should cause me to work harder at my marriage, at being a good parent, at being a good kid for my parents. It should cause me to want to walk closer to him and spend time in his word and spend time in prayer, not because I'm checking things off and going, boy, I sure hope he's happy with me, but because I'm so moved by how much he loves me, how valuable I am to him. I'll make better choices when I recognize how he sees me. And lastly, I'll treat other people better. I have a better self-image and I'll make better choices for my own life, but I'll treat other people better too when I, when I see other people through God's eyes. Again, there's, there's a, a story in the, in the book of John where Jesus is together with his disciples and they've been walking around all day and, and the typical, the tradition of the day was somebody washed everybody's feet at the end of the day and all the dirt and sand and animal stuff that you walk through, somebody would get some water and a towel and wash all that stuff off your feet and nobody had done it yet at supper time. And so Jesus goes over and he does that for his disciples and it's an amazing scene. It's in John chapter 13 and the thing that you notice when you read through the story is that Jesus goes one by one and he gets down on his knees and he takes these stinky, nasty, crusty feet and he starts washing stuff off of them. And you don't ever see in that story Jesus being critical of the guys whose feet he's washing. There's never him going, man, what did you walk through? There's no sign of him going, this is nasty. I can't believe I'm having to do this. This is gross. I hate doing this. Those words never come out of Jesus' mouth. As a matter of fact, it just seems that the whole time he enjoys doing it. He enjoys making his disciples' feet clean, getting all the junk out. But then he stands and he says this in, in chapter 13, verse 15. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Now, I don't think that Jesus is just talking about washing each other's feet, although that would be a good thing for these disciples to do. I think Jesus is talking about the attitude that we serve with. 
I think Jesus is talking about having eyes that recognize somebody needed to do something, and I had the ability to do it. To get my pride out of the way and my time and whatever else that would keep me from doing something to bless somebody else and just going ahead and taking the action and blessing somebody else. Because that's what I've seen him do. To be able to, to look at, at somebody else's muck and dirt, the choices that they've made, the consequences that they're dealing with, the guilt that they may still be holding on to, the mistakes they've made, the resentment that may be between us, the anger that may have been built up because of something between us. And I'm looking past all of that and I'm saying, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? What can I do to make your life better? When I see total strangers, when I see casual acquaintances, when I see people who have just done hurtful things to me or to people that I care about, when I see them with the eyes of my God, I'll treat them better. I'm not saying we can't have healthy boundaries, and I'm not saying to, to run into destructive situations where we might get ourselves hurt again, but I am saying we need to look at people through the eyes of Jesus and say to ourselves, instead of, they deserve everything they're getting, they deserve for me to ignore them, they deserve for me to be angry at them, to look at them through the eyes of Jesus and say, they need to be served. They need to be loved. How can I do that? It'll change the way we treat people when we look at them with the right eyes. So let's start doing that, church. Let's have a better perspective on ourselves. Let's have a better perspective on the people we encounter on a daily basis. And let's see what God does with that. Let's, let's take the goggles off that keep us from seeing things the way God wants us to see them. Let's take the goggles of past mistakes, of words spoken, of skin color, of political parties, of church denominations, of whatever other goggles we view people through. Let's take those things off and let's see people through the eyes of Jesus. And let's let him do amazing things because of it. We're going to stand together in just a moment. We're going to sing a song together. It's become one of my favorite songs. Because the message of the song is, I can't believe that I'm a child of the king, but I am. And it completely changes my heart and my attitude because of it. And I want you, if you've sung this song before, it's how can I keep from singing. And if you've sung that song before, I hope that you will sing it with all your heart this morning because you are a blessed, dearly loved, precious child of our king. And I hope that's the heart and mindset that you sing it with today. But if you're sitting there this morning going, I don't feel like God's kid. Maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe you've never become a child of God before. Maybe you viewed the world your entire life through the world's lenses, through the world's goggles, and you're ready to take them off and give your life to him. I would encourage you, I would ask you, please come forward and let us know that's what's on your heart today. And we will help make that happen. We will help you in that journey of giving your life fully to Jesus Christ so that you can be covered in him. If you've made those choices before, but for whatever reason, because of time, because of circumstances, whatever it is, you've put the goggles back on. And you've allowed yourself to see your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors through past mistakes, through hurtful words, through 
addictions, through whatever it is. I would encourage you, I beg you to come forward this morning and share that with us. There's no judgment here. We all struggle with wearing the wrong goggles. And we will surround you with love and prayer and do whatever we can to help you take those things off so you can start seeing the world and seeing yourselves through the eyes of our God. Don't leave here today with the world's goggles still strapped to your face. If we can help get those things off, we want to while we're staying the same. There is an endless